Hi, welcome to Yo MTG Taps episode six. This is Joey Pasco and Big Head Joe in the house. And we're here with the winner of Maryland State's Lloyd Frias. Um, we're recording in the library, so hopefully we'll have, we're gonna have to keep our voices down. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so firstly, let me let me start off before we before we get to the uh, the questions we have for Lloyd. Um, I wanted to bring up in episode four, we had mentioned um, if anybody had actually lost after activating a Johnny Vengeance, I'm sorry, a Johnny Vengeance Ultimate that they let us know. Um, we only got two replies. One doesn't even count as a reply, which is, uh, did you, you lost, Joe? I lost. <laughs> um, I lost to my friend Tim, um, longtime playing buddy. Uh, I let it was like the day after we had posted that <laughs> podcast. Me and Tim were hanging out playing some cards, and I let a Johnny Vengeance ultimate go off. And then he had a Sphinx of Dwarile out. And then so after a Johnny Vengeance ultimate went off, I earthquaked for like eight, forgetting that it didn't hit the Sphinx. So then the next <laughs> turn he just swung it and killed me. It was pretty <laughs> terrible, but. Uh, I've actually seen that happen a lot, um, with to tell you the truth, earthquake. with Earthquake. People yeah. like will start putting their flying creatures in the graveyard, and I'm like, um, hold up, you know, put those back, they don't die. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just trying to hit you in the face a little, or kill a planeswalker or something. Right. Um, I, I, okay, go ahead and say what oh, else. Oh, no, well, the, the only other, other response we got was from Mike Flores, who we can't go an episode without mentioning, <laughs> which is fine, though, but, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, he, he said he's, he's lost... Um, after activating the ultimate, and he's also won when other people have. He didn't give me a story, but he did. He did let us know that that it did happen. So, uh, I if just, anybody else has that, I just want to make a special mention of a win that I pulled off a couple weeks ago. Okay, good for it. I was playing five color control against um, some sort of Grixis control build, and I managed to win the game after the guy resolved two cruel ultimatums. And Nico Bolas' ultimate. I just have to say that I think that was the wildest win that I have ever had in the history of playing Magic. Um, I, w I was so happy about that. I mean, all four Cruels were in the graveyard at the end of the game. I countered two. Yeah. And, um, and he managed to resolve two. It was unbelievable. But anyway. Yeah, I wish I would have seen that game, but I, I may have been playing you at the time. I was playing somebody at the time. No, uh, that was, uh, Joe was playing, that was his round four match. You were playing Andre at that time. Oh, that, that's right. In that the mirror sense. match. Yeah. So uh, Lloyd actually won that tournament. Um, it was our weekly kind of uh, standard tournament at Amazing Spiral in Hamden. Amazing Spiral at the Rotunda Mall in Hamden, Maryland. Beautiful Hamden. Come <laughs> down and see us. We've got Zendikar boosters and M10 for a short while. So, uh, yeah. And Plane Chase. So um, did you want to... And Slivers. Oh, okay. what? Nobody wants Slivers. Um, Man! <laughs> that, that... But, but do you have Garrick versus Liliana? Actually, <laughs> we do have Garrick versus Liliana available for $19.99. Limited time only. Anyway, uh, Lloyd won states. That, yeah, that, man. Congratulations, Lloyd. Oh, thank yeah. you, guys. We have, we have Lloyd with us today. Um, if we, we didn't already mention that, we yeah. may have. <laughs> um, I don't know how much attention I was paying at the very beginning of this. Um, <laughs> we need, have, needs more coffee, right? Yes. <laughs> um, Energy drink, please. We've, well, I've known Lloyd. Lloyd and I have known each other since way back in 1986, uh, first grade. So we went to elementary school together. Joe also went to the same elementary school. He was uh, two years behind us. So, yeah, so we've known each other for a while. Lloyd, do you want to um, give us, like, a, a, a – what did you want to – Oh, yeah, what I was going to say was um, we're the hosts of this podcast, so we allowed ourselves a good 55 minutes for part one of our magic history. But you're not a host. You get 60 seconds. Let us know a little bit about your uh, magic playing history. How long have you been playing, and et cetera, et cetera. How did you get started, things like that? I started playing in Revise 1994. We were on a testing day, and uh, one of my classmates pulled out magic, and that's basically where it started on a testing day at Loyola. After that, um, played off and on for the past few years, started playing in tournaments in 2002, uh, mostly in the extended format and vintage formats, off and on. Started picking up again. Um, I just really started playing standard this past October. Hmm. Well, I've awesome. never played standard before until this recently. Wow, that's that's even more impressive than I realized. You know, winning states. You know, yeah. And everything. So no doubt. That's really cool. What was um, prior to winning states? What was your biggest? 
tournament win in, in any format? What was your biggest tournament finish or or the biggest tournament that you'd won before that? Uh, Premier Event Services held a held several um, held held a Type One Invitational Vintage Type One Invitational back in two thousand five. That was at um, Pastimes in Illinois, and I made top eight there. Uh, previous to that, they held held a side event at Grand Prix Chicago that I made top four and earned my invite then. Oh, awesome. Pretty cool. So um, do you want to tell us, I guess, what deck you played at States? I played Grixis Control. It's basically very similar to Pat Chapin's Waffle Grixis build, swapping out uh, about, say, five cards from the main deck and moving some cards from the sideboard into the main deck. Cool. Uh, and uh, what was your record at States? Match-wise or game-wise? Uh, Match-wise, match I, yeah. match I went, let's see, it was seven rounds, 6-1. Six, 6-1 one. Six, one going into top eight, and then I Obviously. all three matches in top <laughs> right, eight. Right, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so he only lost in, in round one. Um, yeah. Lloyd actually wrote up a tournament report, which I've read, um, and I'm going to post it on my blog, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes. Um, and we'll post Lloyd's deck list also in the show notes, as long as that's yeah, cool that's with fine. you, obviously. Um, and uh, so, you know, if you want to read over the actual report, you can check that out on uh, affinityforislands.com. What was your, uh, in terms of the different uh, matchups that you had throughout the day, wh or, or just in general for your deck, what is the best matchup for your deck? All the matchups are pretty, about, I say at least 50-50, so um, pre-sideboard, post-sideboard, some matches get better than others, obviously. Um, the matchups that I thought would be most difficult were Red Deck wins and uh, Boros Bushwhacker, just because they're so fa they hit so fast and so hard. Off Wouldn't the give bat. you a chance to get the stage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. What, what, what do you think? If you can remember, over the course of the day, what do you think the best play was that you made throughout the day? In like any individual game, what was the best play you made that was just like, damn, I can't believe I just pulled that off? Uh, I was playing against Naya. He had a Bane Slayer out. I was down to, he knocked me down to six life. He was at 25. Next turn, I end up destroying Bane Slayer with the Terminate or Death Mark. I can't remember which card. After that, I draw Soren Markov, drop him to 10, follow it up with Cruel Ultimatum, and follow it up with Cruel again. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That's a, that's a kick ass play. Yeah. Um, now, uh, what, what do you think um, throughout the day? What do you think the. Uh, I know. People who win tournaments don't like to talk about their mistakes too often, but what do you think the biggest mistake play-wise play that you made throughout the day was? And, you know, what do you think you could have done better in that situation? Oh, that's easy. Round one. I missed sideboarded. What happened in round one is that I ended up sideboarding out my Earthquakes. And, you were uh, playing against John. I was playing against John in round one. I sideboarded out my Earthquakes, and, well, after that I kept them in. The reason being is that Earthquake is extra direct damage to... You know, finish off the match. After you just after you snuff an attack of Sprouting Thrynax, you can always just Earthquake and blow up everything else, take out tokens. So I fixed the mistake later in the day from all my later Jun matches, but, you know, learning experience there from round one. Right. How many I'm, times did you face Jun? Let's see, round one, round two, <laughs> round seven, top Finals four times. Wow. <laughs> so half, oh, about half my day was playing Jun. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I was actually reading uh, earlier some stats. Uh, Evan Irwin actually posted on Twitter um, comparing states 08 and fairies to states 2009 and Jun. And um, fairies was about 20% of the field in states 2008, and Jun was 37% of the field in states 2009. So. I don't want to hear any of this crap about, oh, fairies, oh, they were so... Jund isn't as bad as fairies. <laughs> no, it's not as bad. It's, it's twice as bad. It's worse. Well, the thing about it is Jund does warp the, the metagame in the same way fairies did, in the sense that you're either playing fairies or anti-fairies, or you're playing Jund or some anti-Jund deck. Exactly. But, I mean, that's to be expected with any, any big deck that seems to be winning. The best deck is always going to have the target on its back, and you need to be able to win it. But uh, it seems like it's... It's making entire strategies, entire decks that are built around just beating Jund, like spreading seas, uh, spread them deck. Like people really aren't playing that to beat Boros Bushwhacker, you know, decks like that. They're playing it just. It's built to beat Jund, so it's that's an entirely anti-Jund deck. Um, yeah, I saw. I, I can't remember who's. Uh, I saw a, a an article recently where it was listing the tier one decks and the tier two decks, and mm -hmm. in the tier one decks list, it had Jund. 
And the and tier two decks that had like everything, everything else. else. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that one too. I don't remember who that was, but um, if, if 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 you were the writer of that article, <laughs> lambaste me in a comment, please. Um, so, um, what changes would you make to your deck if states were today? Like to the main deck or to the sideboard? Would you make any changes? Would you put anything in there differently? Hmm, that's a good question. Honestly, I don't think I would have made too many changes because. Um, just because of my personality, even though I main deck things like Deathmark and Flash Freeze. I've been thinking about main decking Yeah, Deathmark, I mean, even right? though I main deck stuff like Deathmark and Flash Freeze, it's, I mean, and I did run into vampires of all things. I'm like, okay, this is a bad. <laughs> it's like, hey, look, I'm going to mind sludge you. It's like, Flash Freeze isn't going to do anything. <laughs> Creature on the board, Deathmark. Joy. Duress. It's like this. Hey, let me duress you. Look at your hand. Flash freeze, flash freeze, death mark, death mark, peaceful card. Guess what card I lost, guys? I mean, even though I had a lot of main deck cards for, that ended up being dead in some matchups, I wouldn't change it too much, I think. I'm, well, I'm, obviously, none of those cards are dead against Jund, and Jund is half and, your day. And so Nye was like two of my other matches, yeah. too, so it's like, you know, I don't think I would change too much, to be honest. You personally, not not saying how should anyone in general do this, but you personally, how do you prepare for an event like States? Funny thing I should mention that. I actually, what happened that day is that there were two events. There were States, and then there was a tournament for Vintage up in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. I actually was trying to debate which one I'm going to that day, because it's like, how often do you get to go to a vintage event, you know? Right. But then again, we've countered it with, like, how often is there, do you get to the States? You know, you've never been to States before. Oh, what the heck, let's go to States. All right, this was Lloyd's first States. That's right. It's my first States, and I don't really, honestly, I kind of just went in with the expectation of just hanging out, getting the experience of States. Winning wasn't exactly my goal, it's, but, I mean, that's not to say I went in completely blind and unprepared. What I ended up doing is that I built the deck, um, tested out cards, um, my actual first test was the tournament you hosted to about two, a week before weekend before state, so I got some ideas off there. I mean, it helped me learn uh, some matchups, like the whole Naya matchup. I honestly owe that to you, Joe. Because, right. Well, like, I was only playing green white though. Well, close time, enough. Close, yeah. close enough. I mean, when somebody put when I played against somebody, it's like wow. It's like he's doing exactly what I thought he'd do. So I did Luminarch Ascensions and this and that. It's like I know what to do against this. Right. So basically, I look at all the different match. I took basically the top eight of worlds. I. Entered them into like um, MWS Apprentice, and basically ran matches against myself, mm -hmm. sideboarded matches and everything, and it helped me <clears throat> eliminate. Okay, what's my good matchups? What, my, what are my bad matchups? What can I do to improve them and everything? And that's the bulk of what I did in about a week's time between um, the tournament at the Rotunda and then states. Now, the question that I kind of just thought of, um, but. You played islands at states. Everybody, you know, everybody kind of across the board pretty much thinks blue is terrible right now. And I know obviously it wasn't mono blue or anything, but um, you played uh, a blue-based control strategy, or at least a Grixis-based control strategy. Um, was that more uh, because it's the kind of deck you like to play, or you know, did you? I guess what what led to the decision to play a deck that most people kind of have written off. Familiarity with the deck, because I mean, if my goal is to have fun at states, you're gonna, I'm going to play the deck that I'm going to enjoy, and you know, the results are. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, hey, I had a good good time. That's basically what it is. And I have a predisposition to control. Like, um, I've been playing control decks since I started this game. I think my exceptions are like one time I played Wildfire, which does have control elements too. <laughs> but the other time, that, the only other deck that I've played in a tournament that is not control is Replace. Oh, what is? I don't even remember that. Yeah, like, what is that? Replace is a type one deck. What you do is you remember those those rares from like Revise, like Deathlace and. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So what you there's a, a, there's a card from like I think it's like Tempest Block Reap. Return a card. Return to your hand any number of cards from your graveyard, no more than the number of black permanents your opponent controls. Oh wow! So I go, Deathlace, Prismatic Lace. You got two. Okay, Reap. Bring back Reap, Black Lotus. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. <laughs> um, I will hit you with. Um, let me think here. Either I can just ancestral you to death, or I can stroke of genius, brain geyser, or something. Oh my you. Gosh, that's funny. So that's it was a, like a combo deck. It's a it's a combo deck. Running yeah. laces. It, yeah. It was hilarious. Respect. Like, uh, I respect the laces, man. That's like the worst card I've ever pulled out of a pack in my whole <laughs> life. And, I, and there's nothing that I personally love more than to see a card that like. 
you just cringe at when you open a pack. Like, there's nothing I love more than to see one of those cards be used in a deck, like, to win matches. I think that's that's just so awesome to me. I love that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the funny part about it is the one card that totally ruined my strategy, Zuron Orb. <laughs> oh, I was like, seriously, Zuron Orb. I have a combo deck, but I guess that works. <laughs> it's great. Um, I've, uh, you know, listeners know that I've been working on, basically I went from a red-white-blue control deck to a, just a red-blue control deck, um, and I kind of felt like that was lacking something, even though it had more consistency um, in the mana base, it felt like it didn't have as many tools to uh, to work with. So I decided I wanted to play a, kind of a Grixis control list. I wanted to play, um, I wanted to play, play Cruel Ultimatum, and I kind of wanted to play Nico Bolas, but he ended up getting cut before I actually finished building the deck. Um, so, so I've been kind of working on a list that it looks pretty similar to Lloyd's, but some of the differences are um, Lloyd did run Nico Bolas. He also ran Sor and Markov. Um, those are both one ofs, right? Yeah. Um, and and Chandra Blaze. I'm sorry, Chandra Nalar. Yeah, not Blaze. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have so, enough red cards to make that one work. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Chandra I only have in the sideboard, and and Sorin and Bolas. I was afraid to run them because I was afraid of being flooded with uh, high casting cost cards. So I've got like three cruel ultimatums in the deck, and yeah, I didn't want to be stuck with a whole bunch of stuff in my hand and not have the mana for it. I also took kind of like when I was building it, I took a page out of the uh, Flores Naya lightsaber strategy and played uh, he, in Naya lightsaber. He said he didn't want any lands that came into play tapped, so he's got the M10 duels in there, but um, but they most often come into play untapped. So I did the same thing with my mana base. I just have two crumbling Necropolis in there, and then. Uh, you know, M10 duels and some fetch lands because I wanted to be able to interact in the early game. And so far, that's been working pretty well for me. I'm pretty happy with, with the results. Even though I, last week um, I played some, and uh, even though I was losing, it was because of my own mistakes. Um, I actually, well, I, w I was down to um, two life against Keith. Keith was playing a red-green um, version of the Eldrazi green deck. And I knew, like, I, I kept playing around, I had like flash freeze in my hand, I was playing around lightning bolt or burst lightning, and um, I topped that cruel ultimatum and suddenly forgot entirely that I was at two life and went, tapped out, cruel ultimatum, he's like, with that on the stack, I will lightning bolt you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> but, uh, but aside from my own play mistakes, I, I feel like the deck uh, is running pretty well. I, I'll probably still make some adjustments, but... Um, but I, I guess my first question for you is, how, did, did you run into any issues running, you know, um, what, you had three cool ultimatums in the deck, right? Mm -hmm. um, so seven costs, you know, uh, two Sphinx of Dwar Isle, that costs six, Soren costs six, Chandra costs five, um, and uh, Nico Bolas costs eight. So you had like, wh what is that, like six or seven cards that are pretty high, high on the curve. Um, did you run in, into any issues with... Well, um, that's part of the mulliganing. When you mulligan... I mean, when you draw your first seven cards, if you see, like, Nickel Bolas, Cruel Ultimatum, and all those in your hands, you're going to mulligan. I mean, even right. if you have two of them, it's it's almost an auto-mulligan in those cases, just for that purpose. Um, I didn't get too many of them, and most of this only affects game one, because you adjust your sideboard accordingly game two and everything. Um, I didn't find too many issues with it, but that's also why I'm running Sphinx of Lost Truth, so I can always just pitch it, and I, or I expect to lose it. But, I mean, if your goal is to have enough removal to get to the late game. You want to have your late game cards there. So, I mean, that's the balance you have to run. Right, I see. Now, um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the card draw. Because you ran Courier's Capsule? Yes. Right? And uh, any other card draw? I can't remember. Uh, four Courier's Capsule, two Divination, and then Sphinx of Lost Truth. Okay. Um, I'm running Sign in Blood, which actually I know you, you've run that before, at least in Mono Black Control uh, when I played yeah. against you. Um, I, and I keep thinking... Um, I'm like, I wish I had a way to gain life. I completely forgot about Soren. That's kind of, I mean, for me, like, I, you're obviously not running Sign and Blood, so that's not a synergy that you were thinking of, but that's one of the other reasons I want to add Soren to my deck, um, because at least now I, that's something just to gain a little bit of life back. But I run Sign and Blood and Jace, and you have obviously completely different choices. What kind of, what was your logic in choosing those? Okay, I didn't run Jace because... <laughs> Most people are going to run Jace. So what that does is that if my sideboard plan, like for example, Jace Raider, 
pithing needle naming Jace. Well, if I do that, I just cripple my own draw engine. So that's one problem right there. Good point. I can't, I mean, the other thing too is at most, um, the most common thing I've seen with Jace is that for people to draw one card for themselves, so he goes down to two. Lightning Bolt, dead. There's your engine dead, taken out by one card. At best, you've just broken even. So I just think it's too frail unless you're running a dedicated Jace strategy. That's why I didn't go with Jace in that part. My other option that I was running previously on a four-color control build was Mindspring. I didn't like Mindspring because I ended up, I don't like tapping out for it. I mean, it's a great recovery. Like, if you have an empty hand, you get Mindspring. Mindspring for a whole lot of, you're back in the game. But, you know, that's a very circumstantial thing. And it, usually if you already have an empty hand, you're probably done. Right. Yeah, and, and I agree about Mindspring. That's how I felt. Like, I was running four, then three, then two, then I just cut them because every time I drew it, it was like, what am I going to do here? Like, I don't want to tap out, so I'm going to tap four and draw two. Like, yeah. that's really no fun. Like, that's not yeah, what you, it's You might as well just run Divination. Right, exactly. Point. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, the thing with Jace, though, like, I love Jace, and I, I think, I, I didn't really think about Jace Raider, partly because I haven't played against it at all. Nobody's playing. Somebody is Keith going. No, no one is playing. And Keith, Keith, Keith kind of ran something similar to Jace Raider that weekend I went. Mm. Okay, so, uh, so I haven't had the uh, opportunity to play against that. He was deck, running so. the Esper Crab Mill deck. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. So, but did that have Jason in it, I guess? Yeah, it okay. had Jason in it. Okay, yes. that makes sense. So I haven't actually gotten to play against it yet. But so I, had, I, hadn't thought, <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, but as far as um, what else you said, like, I think my initial strategy with Jace, in, in most cases, unless I'm playing against another control deck, um, and if, if they have Lightning Bolt, I probably still would... Uh, or if, yeah, if a control deck had Lightning Bolt, I'd probably just put them up to five out of Lightning Bolt range and then start drawing yeah, them down. Yeah, that's, that's common, too. That's my strategy with Jace when I play them, and the way I look at it is um, if they've got, like, a Bane Slayer on the board or something and I don't have an answer for it, I play Jace, put them up to five... They they swing at Jace. If they want to kill Jace, I mean, assuming that's what they're going to do, I've at least saved myself from five damage, um, and I've gotten a card off of it, even though I've given them a card. Uh, I just feel like Jace um, at least absorbs some damage, uh, and so that's why I like him a lot. And then Sign in Blood, it's just, you know, it's cheaper than Divination. Oh, yeah. It's just the life loss, and and that's the... The kind of thing that's, I guess, dangerous. Well, that's what I was going to get to next, the sign and blood versus divination thing. Like, I've, as you've said, I've run sign and blood before. The only reason I had, um, well, there's two reservations with sign and blood. The first one is the life loss in such a ha aggro-heavy, burn-heavy meta. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, here, let me just help make your job a little easier. Because decks that run lightning bolts and are fast aggro decks, they're designed to deal 20 damage as soon as possible. You're helping their cause a little bit with that, which it's a gamble you're taking, yes, but... I don't know. One, I'm not comfortable with. The second problem is the casting cost, double black. If you're trying to run, like, double negative or some double blue mana card, and you want to be able to do that early, like, you want to be able to double negative turn three or play Jace turn three, you're just you're going to have a conflict there. It's yeah. just not going to work out. So Courier's Capsule, um, the thing with Courier's Capsule is that my brother has been running it in his blue-white-red deck for quite some time. And it's worked out well for him because he can drop a turn two. It allows him to dig out of a mana, you know, mana screw a little bit at the early mm -hmm. game because it's a two mana card. Um, <clears> it'll <throat> also allows him to kind of do instant speed. Yeah, it's four mana total, but that's over two, two over how yeah, many yeah, turns. Yeah, yeah, split it up, right. So, I mean, like, I could do turn two Courier's Capsule, turn three, keep mana open for double negative. Hey, nothing happened. Courier's Capsule. Yeah. That's a good point. For some reason, I didn't feel like... When I was playing Mindspring, I was also playing Courier's Capsule, and I wasn't playing Jace at the time. So um, I, I just felt like uh, with Courier's Capsule, I was I felt like I was tapping two mana to do nothing, like be, to just set it there. And I, I see the logic, and I, it's something I should probably try again. But for some reason... Um, Maybe it's just that Jace's art looks way cooler. That I well, there's no denying that one. Yeah, not, not yeah no, she's totally one. hot. I would totally do her in a sec. Wait, which is Jace a girl or a guy? So uh, I, what I also <laughs> noticed, <laughs> one of the things I, I, that was kind of interesting to me is that you sided out uh, double negative against Jund. Yeah. Um, and I was curious about that because to me, double negative is there for cascade spells or else you just run canceled because why Why not? It does the same thing um, if you're not running it against Cascade. Casting cost. 
Right. The well, fact of the matter is, um, you don't have to with, let's say, Bloodbraid Elf. They do Bloodbraid mm-hmm. Elf, Bloodbraid Elf into Blightning or Sprouting Thrynax. Okay, I would flash freeze either the Thrynax or the Blightning. Of course, I'd threaten Blightning. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna let that resolve. Sure. <laughs> but Bloodbraid Elf, it's like, okay, let me think here. I've got Deathmark. I've got Terminate. I've got Bolt. So, so you it's were... a it's a matter of. Having the three mana for double nick, while it is great, being able to counter earlier at the two turn cost, which is you know the whole argument against cancel, for example, mm-hmm. that's that's too game breaking. Even if I'm losing the ability to stop a cascade, right? Well, I guess my then my question is why even main deck the double negative in the first place? Main deck in the sense that you know vampires, things yeah. that don't have the green. I mean, even though it was great, I cited. I'll be honest. I cited in flash freeze every single match I had green or red in it. But, you know, to expect in the meta to be completely flooded by that, okay, so maybe it was a little bit. Just for the one matchup where you wouldn't have it, such as I played a blue-black control deck and a vampire's deck. And this is, you know, I think round three and round four, if I remember correctly. If I had main deck flash freezes, that's more dead cards in my deck. I already have four dead cards in my deck with two flash freeze, two death marks. Unless you can like guarantee the meta is going to be flooded with red green decks, that's why I wouldn't do uh, four flash freeze. Right. Well, I, so that still makes sense, but I, I'm still a little bit like, all right, your main deck is double negative, and w- which is good against cascade, right? Right. right. So why not if you if why main deck double negative instead of cancel? <clears throat> um, when because you're siding out double negative against cascade, you know what I mean. Jund is the deck that because, plays most um, cascade because double negative it does have at least the possibility of stopping cascade so versus just, cancel. I mean, it's better. It's better than cancel. What, right. What I mean, it is. I. I but I, I guess that was. It definitely is better than cancel. But if you're siding it out, then it's only you know. It's, it's only being used as cancel anyway. I see what you're right, saying. Right. That's what I mean. So, so. Uh, I mean, if you're looking for the, it's got more potential game one, which is when you're using it. Mm-hmm. So you can go into the more narrow card game two and three. Okay. I guess is the best way of phrasing that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I, I guess I was just curious because I'm thinking. Jund is the deck with Cascade, and you're siding out the double negatives. Now, I've, I agree because I felt like the impulse to side out double negative also when I've had Flash Freeze in the board to bring in, I was like, all right, I'm bringing in Flash Freeze, definitely. Do I want to side out double negative? I'm like, but they, it's Cascade. I have to keep double negative. That's what it's for. So, like, I well, you look at it from out. the perspective that if you're on the, let's assume you're on the play, <laughs> turn two. How many bad things can happen on turn two? I mean, depending on the deck, that's quite a lot. I mean, you look at, you know, you, John, Putrid Leech, yeah. Boris Bushwhacker, you got stuff, RDW, most of the deck. Right. I mean, a lot of stuff can happen on turn two that you want to be able to have that air. The other thing, too, is if you're doing Courier's Capsule like I am, I can have two mana open and drop Courier's Capsule, but I yeah. can't have three. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little more flexible in that regard. I see. That definitely makes some sense. I think that was all... The questions I had now that you had, Joe had written um, a bunch of good questions and then a bunch of bad questions. <laughs> no, just goofy questions. Well, yeah, they're, they're, it's kind of funny. So if if you guys you know, oh, sure. move into that, unless anybody else, did you have any more questions about you know his deck or not really? I think that you've you know picked it apart uh, uh, real well. Real, no, real quick, real quick. The, uh, the Sphinxes. The um, so you run two Sphinx of Draw Isle and one Sphinx of Lost Truth. Mm-hmm. That's the exact opposite of what I've got. I got two Lost Truths and one Draw Isle. Um, how how did they work for? I mean, how well did they work for you in the deck? It worked out pretty well. I mean, the Sphinx of um, Lost Truths is is great because it's you know a filter right there. You expect it to die most cases, mm-hmm. not be consistent, which is why Draw Isle is there. Um, with Draw Isle, it's uh, you know, it really depends on what matchup it is. I mean, I went with that because I have two Malakir Blood Witch in the sideboard, and I'd side those in for the Sphinx of Dwar Isles in, like, you know, any matchup with white or anything in there. Because mm. it's effectively the same thing, just a mana cheaper. Yeah. And uh, it works out well. I mean, I looked at it that I was using more Sphinx of Lost Trees more as a card draw as opposed to, like, anything else, and I figured I'd rather just, you know, after... Spending my counter base and my removal stabilizing like turn five or so, as much fun as uh, you know cycling for three cards is, I'd rather you know drop something that yeah. will 
stick around and finish the job, which is why I went with the Sphinx of Dwaral. Two, uh, the two one split that way. And uh, and Soren, he he was obviously pretty, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, Soren was all star. I love the uh, the synergy of drop them to ten, and then now they're just a Sphinx hit and a cruel ultimatum from from dead. Yeah, that, that's basically. it's great how that works out. I mean, say on turn five you drop Sphinx of Lost Truths. Right, turn six, Soren, you're at ten. Turn seven, Cruel Ultimatum, swing with the Sphinx of Lost Truths and sign in blood for the win. <laughs> Ping with Soren, too. Right, or, or yeah, or Ping with Soren, that's right, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I forgot you could use him more than once. <laughs> there's, there's other, Soren has another ability? Yeah. Wait a second, yeah, I can yeah, take so. control of your next turn? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at, uh, I was thinking about Nico Bolas, and I was like, what is his other ability? I was like, he destroys non-creature permanents. And he blows up seven things. I was like, what is his middle ability? Like, I completely <laughs> forgot. And I'm like, oh, it's active treason. Or it's, a, or it's mind control, actually, right? right? It's gain control of target creature. Oh, yeah. I'm like, God, that's so awesome. I just completely forgot like what else he did. Right. I, like, I have to play that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play it at least once. I want to do something with it. It's like Baneslayer Angel. Um, I've had him for months. And it took forever for me to ever even connect with one because it was like Baneslayer Angel, countered, or Baneslayer Angel, Path to Exile, Terminate, whatever. It was like, man, this thing never does anything but just get removed every time I play it. <laughs> well, it was and worse. Like, you could have had Baneslayer Angel, Malachir Bloodwitch. Right, or la, Act la, la, of la, Treason, la. as Joe did to me last week. <laughs> I was like, Baneslayer. He's like, okay. Act of Treason. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. <laughs> he was playing uh, Barely Boros. So yeah. he had already knocked me, you know, nice. down below ten at the time. So it was like, oh, I know, I was at seven, and you you top decked a goblin guide, and so you played Act of Treason on my Bane Slayer, drop goblin guide, swing. I'm like, great, that's awesome. It I was, was. I was playing. It was, <laughs> it was awesome, actually. Yeah. I was playing Naya lightsaber. So um, okay, so just a couple questions unrelated to the event, uh, or maybe well, these are a little. Um, I guess these are kind of related to. Um, how you did in states and kind of what you saw during your day. Uh, what do you think right now, right now, all, all other things you know aside, all World Wake spoilers, all three of them aside, what do you think the strongest card in standard is right now? Let's see. I'm probably going to have to go with Blightning. Yeah. Just because it's the damage on top of the two cards is just ridiculous. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think the most underrated card in standard is right now? Underrated, I'd probably have to say Malakir Blood Witch, honestly. Until, I I thought it was underrated until this past weekend. Like, I didn't have Malakir Blood Witch in my sideboard at all, and then I tested it. I was like, wow, this is great. You think it's only a Vampire's card, but no, it's got many other options and usage. Cool. Um, and similar, uh, opposite end of the spectrum, what do you think the most overrated card in Standard is right now? Overrated card? Let's think about that one. Yeah, I can't think of something that's overrated at this point. Um, I don't have this question on here, but maybe in, it's in the same vein. If you can't really necessarily come up with an overrated card, what do you think the most, like, the most overhyped deck in Standard is right now? Like, what deck do you think people are like, Oh man, this is great, but it's really just not all that hot. And don't say John. I'm not, <laughs> not going to say John. I know. Um, what's an overhyped deck? Um, kind of want to say the effect of uh, Eldrazi Elves. Yeah. The Eldrazi Green deck. I mean, it did great at the last Star City 5K. Where did it ha where was it at Worlds? And I mean, I haven't seen people put good results with it since then. And I think it was mostly just because of the surprise factor. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um, now, our friend Keith, he's built a, a version of Eldrazi Green that, that I find pretty interesting. Um, it's a green-red build, and it's running um, lightning bolts uh, because, you know, the one big problem with that deck is there's just zero removal in it. It's kind of like, let me see if I can do this faster than you can do what you're doing. He's got the, the um, he has uh, lightning bolts, he's running Bloodbraid Elf, and he's also running, um, uh, oddly enough, he's running uh, Sarkinval. Oh, yeah. He's running Sarkinval in the deck, which has actually been a pretty interesting um, choice for the deck, frankly. I mean, it, it seems to do pretty well. I don't know. Um, and Joe left, so now I'm going to be like Garth in, uh, in Wayne's World. Hi. 
we're in Wayne's basement. Only this isn't Wayne's basement. Isn't that weird? <laughs> nice one, Joe. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so this is a bit of a loaded question because I know your answer. Mm -hmm. But what is your favorite format and why? Favorite format? Easily vintage. Just because you get to play with all the cars that you've ever had. And it's a fast-paced format. Basically, if you take how this format of standard can, you know, you've got the guy empty. Hey, look, top, top deck, blood braid elf into something else. Hey, look, I'm back in the game, and I've just actually swung it in my favor. That's how vintage can be. So that's why this format isn't surprising to me, because I'm so used to things like that. Yeah, it's not fun when you have things like opponent goes turn one, mistress workshop, turn a sphere. Well, I'm done. I can't really do anything at the moment. But it's got so many possibilities. I mean, you can make great comebacks. I mean, I've done things where I've Yagmos willed ridiculous amount of cards. I think I've cast Ancestral for a record five times in a single game. It's awesome. Um, what else have I done five times in a single game? I've mind-slavered somebody and killed him with his own Necro. <laughs> I mean, these are things you can't do in other formats. That's why there's so much fun in it. Right, and I guess like just deck choice, just being able to play any deck, play any card, and, yeah. and just kind of go wild. I mean, I, I, I personally like building decks a lot. Like, I like building my own decks, bad as they might sometimes be. Like, I like to, whenever possible, I like to build my own decks or put my own spin on certain ideas. And so that's, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about Vintage is that you have such a big-ass card pool just to pull from and just to, you know, just to go wild. If you want to build a crazy deck, you've got all these different weapons at your disposal, which I think is really cool. What is your, uh, like in terms of like playing Magic, forget like why you started and, and all that stuff and, you know, even, even forget winning states. What is your ultimate goal playing Magic? Like what do you want out of, out of playing Magic? Mostly I've been playing Magic for social, I mean to meet people just uh, meet people of similar interest and just to have fun and hang out. That's realistically all it's ever been about. I mean, winning a tournament and doing well, that's just icing on the cake, honestly. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Okay, so let's go on to um, some, some of the fun questions here. So this question is for all three of us. Um, let's start with Lloyd and work our way down. Oh, fair. You have the sheet. You know the answer. I don't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there aren't any answers on here. This is just a this is just a question. This is just the test. This isn't the answer key. Okay. Um, if you could be any one planeswalker, who would you be and why? Hmm. All right. Well, let's. I'm going to go down the list of planeswalkers. In Lorwyn, we had Ajani Goldmane, Jace. Well, now it doesn't. No, no, no. We're not even necessarily talking about planeswalkers that have been printed as planeswalker cards. Oh, well, it could God. be. Oh, now you Jeez, you now. just changed the question. Yeah, no. that, that's going to take. A I bit. never said if you could be anyone planeswalker card. I said if you could be anyone planeswalker. What do you mean we are planeswalkers? He's got you there, actually. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. you're right. Wow, if you really want to get nerdy about. <laughs> it. I would be Lloyd Frias because I won state. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow, thanks. No, no big ego here. <laughs> No, uh, but so you you mean like in the story like we're just line? talking like story wise and everything. So sure, yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily. I mean, you can you can pick a planeswalker from a planeswalker card, but you don't have to limit yourself to that. You can you can pick anyone from uh, any period in uh, Magic history. Hmm. Have you read any of the storyline, like any novels? I followed the storyline enough because basically I knew they were making the books about it, and then I kind of. Wikipedia shortcutted oh, version. Yeah. I haven't actually okay. read the book. Oh, I've, I've read like almost everything. I, I've wanted to. It's just I never found the time. One of the best books, and you know, kind of a short aside, is is the Brothers War. That is such a good yeah, story. Yeah, that's like, one I've been curious about myself, honestly. Brothers War is great. Um, the other, my personal favorite from the set books is Torment. That was a, just a great story. It was a lot of fun to read, and it was just it was it was really it was Chainer and and uh, Kamal and all them. It was right. just a really cool story. That was a good one. The, Braids. Um, yeah, the the Ice Age cycle was a great cycle of books. It was uh, Gathering Dark, Shattered Alliance, and there's a middle one that I'm forgetting the name of, but um, 
that was the other. I like the Brothers War and the Ice Age cycle. Those are my favorites. And I guess, so if I had to pick a Planeswalker, I, like, it might be obvious, but I really liked Urza a lot in the Brothers War, and I liked Joda in the, uh, in the Ice Age cycle. And he, it's not clear that he actually became a Planeswalker, so I guess that's not a, a valid answer. But, but Urza's a valid answer. Urza is a valid answer, yes. Oh. Karn is also a valid answer. True. That still bugs me, Karn became a Planeswalker. I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure. Um, on that topic, my choice of Planeswalker is going to be Tezzeret. Very nice. That was a good uh, Agents of Artifice, Jace's I haven't book read the book, Jace. but I've heard it's good. Um, it's pretty good. The reason I picked Tezzeret is because I've been out of magic pretty much for... Last Christmas I got back into magic, and that's right around Lorem when they introduced Planeswalker, so I had no idea what this card does. It's like, okay, Planeswalker is new card type, whoop-de-doo. Then I look at it, it's like, oh... Okay, that's pretty nifty. And this is around the time, too, that they changed Time Vault. So, uh, Tezzeret, search oh. out Time Vault. Well, you can say that's what happens next turn. <laughs> or actually, that's my next turns, and you don't get any more. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's kind of why, I mean, my first Planeswalker ever that I've used was Tezzeret. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of why I have a Tezzeret. Granted, I'm not playing Tezzeret now. Yeah. But that can change. Right. A little bit of a nostalgia trip there. And my answer is just stupid. I'd want to be Chandra Blaze so I could play with my big, beautiful tits. But anyway, so moving on. Um, what is your play value, nostalgia, whatever? What is your favorite magic card and why? Well, I've kind of previewed this with the last answer about the Planeswalker, but Tinker. Yeah. Just because I cannot play a blue deck in... Type 1 that doesn't have Tinker for some strange reason. And it's pretty obvious because I've gone Tinker, Darksteel, Colossus. Tinker, Sphinx of Steel was my new one. Tinker, Vault Key. There's so many options you can do with Tinker. It's, it's such a powerful and fun card. I mean, come on. When was the last time you saw somebody hardcast Darksteel Colossus? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Or, or Sphinx of Steel win for crying yeah. out loud. That's even more fun to try and hardcast. I was going to say, like, in Tooth and Nail, maybe, but. Because, but that was with Urzatron, and that was when you didn't have the tooth and nail in hand. <laughs> Those are huge, fun cards that, I mean, way back when, like, I mean, your progenitor's Colossus of Sardia. Who do you know that played a Colossus of Sardia? Oh, yeah, definitely. Back in 1995. I played Colossus of Sardia. Me too, that's what I'm saying, with Instill Energy. Who got, who got far <laughs> enough to actually play a Colossus of Sardia? I did. We did, yeah. Okay, I, did. I stand corrected. So, yeah, <laughs> back in 1995, yeah, that's what, that's what I wanted to build. Back when we were playing 8-3 speed, man. I well, mean, that Christ. too, but I think we actually got that far Otherwise, otherwise, yes. Birds and Llanowar Elves and Findhorn Elder and Instill Energy. It was like mana, 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 and then Force of Nature and Colossus of Sardia with Instill Energy on him and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Fun. That was fun. But no, I, I, I know what you mean. Like, Good in fun. Um, okay. Which one card not on the reserve list would you like to see reprinted and why? I would probably say Factor Fiction for number one. Blue has, like, no instant speed card draw that's decent. Worldly Council does not count. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that the mechanic of, here, decide which cards go in my hand. Split, split the piles for me. That's just a fun mechanic from Invasion where they had, you know, interaction between your opponent as you're playing the spell. Right. I mean, granted, I mean, I mean, that takes a lot of skill right there to decide how to split Factor Fiction for people. When, I, when Factor Fiction first came out and I was playing against it, I botched up, I think, every Factor Fiction split I was yeah. someone played against me because I didn't really think about it. I tried to make the piles balanced, whereas now I don't try to make them balanced. I try to influence this. Like, I want you to take this pile, not that one. Right. That's right. Good, good and, I mean, that's that's a good play skill. I mean, it develops play skill for everybody involved. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's not as, I mean, as much as people said during the Psychotog era of EOT, FOF, YL, it's yeah. not always the case that you resolve Factor Fiction and... You just flat out win. I mean, Worlds that year, I think it was Carlos Ramal from Brazil who, who yeah. they made the big headlines. He broke the format. They were just letting Factor Fictions resolve left and right. Yeah, that's right. I remember that uh, just vaguely. But by the way, that was end of turn Factor Fiction, you lose. <laughs> uh, exactly. I, th I think the way I've always heard it was EOT, FOF, FTW. Like, end, end of turn Factor Fiction for the win. Um, now, if you were a member of Wizards R&D, how could you live with yourself? No, I mean, uh, which mechanic would you introduce or reintroduce in Rise of the Eldrazi? 
I would probably say threshold on the grounds that you got the fetch lands. You've got Sphinx of Lost Truths. Sphinx of Lost Truths. You have ways to fill your graveyard with, for threshold. And I mean, decks built around the threshold mechanic is just great. I think it's also good for limited because cards that you'd look at and wouldn't give a second thought to, okay, now you're going to consider it because if I draw it late game, it's not crappy anymore because of threshold. Right. Right. I mean, Nimble Mongoose. For example, right. Nimble yeah. Mongoose. I mean, these types of things, I think threshold, it has a new level of depth through deck building in general. I was thinking about, like, if I were to break into Legacy, which is probably not going to happen, but I, I thought I was thinking about this like yesterday. That threshold would probably be a deck that I might look at to actually play because I do like that mechanic. I like buyback and uh, flashback, and I, I just like being able to reuse things. So flashback and buyback. No, I like flash. I like uh, flashback as well. It's a really nice mechanic. I just think that in order for the card to be usable, you'd have to like. It's going to be overcosted to begin with, so yeah. you're probably better off dumping it in the yard and flashing it back. Most cases. Well, think of like Chainer's Edict. Like I loved that spell, and it was a yeah two two mana cost removal. And then it was like a f- seven and then it was mana like seven to flash it back. So it's still like yeah, it was hard to reuse it, but at least initially you got use out of it that was decent. So like if they could do balance things that way, I, I think that's oh, but come on. Cool. I mean, we all know that you're going to ask. We're going to ask for things like fervent denial back. <laughs> But, no, I mean, on Flashback, I mean, that, I think the very first Flashback card I ever played was Recoup. I'm try- that's the, that's the one, one. It's the red sorcery that gives any other sorcery in your graveyard Flashback. flashback. <laughs> and it has Flashback itself. So <laughs> I do funny. this, I'd go, um, Gifts Ungiven, I bring out Yagmas Will, Tinker, Time Walk, Recoup. <laughs> well, what do you plan on giving me? Uh, yeah, I, I like Gifts Ungiven, but I played it in Standard, so it was like Hanakami, and um, I can't even remember what else, what that combo was. I still have the deck together. That's the thing, like, I I play like Standard, I really like Standard and Block, and once I build a deck, I pretty much keep it forever. I don't like take it apart to trade, or to take it apart to build extended decks, or legacy decks, or anything. It's just like, yeah, you want to play, um, play Magic? I, I have some old decks. You want to play Standard from 2002 because I've got Mono Black Control and Goblins. You know, like I've got these old decks. It's pretty cool, actually. How many decks would you say you have right now built? Roughly 20. It's like, so over the years, like, I've, you know. And they're all, and they're all like, none of them are, I mean, some of them are extended legal or legacy legal by default. Right. But, like, they're, well, they're all obviously vintage yeah. legal. But, like, you know what I mean, like. Like they're not built for any specific format. They're, they're built, built for, for standard. They're built for the year standard. They, they were legal, right? Like it's, it's like a time capsule. Right. It's kind of great. So I've got like fairies block deck. I've got gifts ungiven block. I've got uh, gruel from Ravnica standard. And so it's like yeah, I just have affinity from when it was in standard, not affinity extended. You know. Uh, it's interesting. Hmm. Um, now, I, I don't know if you've listened to our podcasts, um, but. Either way, I don't want you to be influenced by anything that we've said about this subject. But how do you feel about the disqualification of the uh, U.S. team in the Team World Championships? Um, I was kind of hoping you wouldn't ask this question, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, my I don't know the full details of it, but I mean, if you go according to... I mean, I overheard your podcast about this discussion. There is actually a... about why they couldn't use the replacement... It's the circumstances of Gindy being disqualified. They couldn't put the replacement in, if I remember. It was from something I read, I think, was the case. That's why they couldn't continue that way. I think it's unfortunate that that's what ended up happening, because it sounded like it's a miscommunication on Gindy's part. He didn't intend it in a malicious way to, like, um, do it that way. But, I mean, if that's what's in the florals, which I'm not a judge, and, you know, I don't fully interpret those cases. I mean, unfortunately, they have to comply with the rules. It's, It's the judge's job to enforce the rules. They're just doing their jobs, and... It's really, really sucks that it, that's what happened. But I mean, you know, I think you know if that's what's in the rules, that's what happens. Unfortunately, right. sure. Yeah, and, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't really disagree with that. I mean, if that's what the rules say, you know what I mean. Whether or not you think the rules are right or wrong, I have a, I have an NFL-related question. Do you think the NFL referees are trying to fix games, or do you think they're just idiots? Um, 
I don't really watch too much football, so I can't say. Is there any particular reason you're prompting such a question? <laughs> Only because we watch football. And, uh, no, I mean, like, is, there specific, are we, is this about Monday's game that we're talking about? Or well, um, I would say just kind of over the course of the season, um, they've been really, like, just blowing calls really bad or no calls. I feel like, like the sub-question to that was, should Earl Hebner of the World Wrestling Entertainment no, take time over? Time out, time out, time out. Re- Earl Hebner is no longer with the World Wrestling Entertainment. He's with TNA now. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. That's funny. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh he went over God. to TNA. Holy crap. Earl Hebner's in TNA. He well, got, well, continue. Well, because he... Oh, yeah, we'll talk no, about no, that. No, no, go ahead. He got just, released from WWE because of, like, some kind of, like, fraud scandal, I think. Like, what ended up he happening... He misrepresented the game state with no, his master of the well, world. No, what ended I think it's possible. I believe it was something effective, like, he was selling WWE paraphernalia through his brother's store, and he didn't have a license or something like that. No, but I was saying, should he uh, take over as head official in the NFL? Joe likes to, uh, and I agree, actually. Some of the, he likens some of the calls in the NFL to, like, basically... I've been uh, calling it National Football Entertainment this year. Right, because, because it seems like it, it's crap where, you know, the refs look another way and somebody comes out and hits somebody with a chair, and it's like, oh, didn't see it, didn't, you know, no calls. Yeah, I mean, like, I like was that. so happy when the Oakland Raiders won against the Steelers this weekend because Heinz Ward, like, obviously grabs a face mask grabs the ball, runs into the end zone, and he's all smiling, and the referees are like, mm, I don't know, you know, like, you feel like the manager's over there, like, distracting them, or like, you know, something happens, like the, the tag team partner's like over there, like, yeah. saying something to the ref, and he goes and says something, the manager comes and hits him with a chair. Like, that's just <laughs> how I feel like the NFL's turning into. So, but I have one last question on here. Um, it's, it's a fairly serious question. If you don't have an answer, that's fine. Um, but what do you think could be done by the DCI to minimize cheating? Like we're talking like above board from top down, or are you just talking about any like any? Level? I mean, I would say any way you feel appropriate to answer that question. I mean, like if there's one thing maybe that they could do on any level, either either on a you know tournament to tournament level or or something, a change to the floor rules, or something like that that could be done to minimize cheating. Because like we were talking about in our, in our last podcast, at the heart of it, regardless of what you're winning, regardless of the stakes, you know, you're playing a game to achieve you know, your, your results and to accomplish your goals. I mean, and it's a game and it's, and it's fun. And the fact that people cheat in the game is is I mean to me personally I feel that it's it's kind of ridiculous I feel like it's it's just a ridiculous thing it's it's I mean maybe I'm just an innocent but it's it's just a concept I don't even understand like why would you cheat at a game for any reason I mean it's a game you know what I, I mean I understand why people would cheat okay like I understand that people cheat because they want the success, they want the prizes, and they will stop at nothing to get them. That's kind of the heart of it, really, and why people yeah. cheat. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But, I'm, but what I'm saying is, what do you think could be done by the DCI to minimize cheating? It's a uh, bit of a tricky one, but... Well, one of the things is, if I asked you the question, what's the difference between REL at Friday Night Magic and REL at, say, States, could you tell me the difference? I know what you're talking about, but I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure that it states you register your deck lists, um, right? Yeah. Um, and things like that. And I know that, but I really don't know so much. Like, I mean, I'm sure you have to, like, count your sideboard and all that stuff. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Details aside, even though this stuff is available, it's not something that every person is held accountable for. Like, you don't. So there are some people that make mistakes. Like Friday Night Magic, the purpose of Friday Night Magic is to teach the rules, right? I mean, at least that's what it's sold as. At least that's part of it, yeah. Yeah, that's people play, play mistakes, do the rules and everything. I think that's one of the things that I think it needs to be stronger at that level to make sure that people understand the rules so that way you eliminate that source of cheating, per se. Because some people, you know, I had somebody at Friday Night Magic, I think it was like two weeks ago, presented me, he had these Street Fighter Chun-Li sleeves. Okay, he presented the deck to me. I told him, okay, just to let you know, when you present your deck, all your sleeves have to be fa- like this. If they have like a front back, they all have to be facing the same direction. Otherwise, it's a game loss. And I said, no, seriously. It's like, bring the judge over. Yeah, that would be a game loss. But since this is Friday Night Magic, just reshuffle and set it all the same way. That's the kind of thing that 
I think is getting lost in some cases like Friday Night Magic because I found that Friday Night Magic, where its purpose is supposed to be something like that, it ends up becoming, I'm going to be testing out my deck for states. I'm going to be testing out my deck for a PTQ or something like that. Or even just for Sunday at Legends. That's, <laughs> that's my thing. I mean, you have a lot of people that are doing that, that the environment in the has changed so much that it's too focused on the competitive thing that you lose some um, basic fundamental things like, what does this mean as a rule? What are the rules? What are the consequences? That kind of stuff. I don't know if you want to interest you like some kind of like DCI driver's test, <laughs> but there are some people that probably don't even know what the floor rules are, have never read them, and they just go in, register a deck, and start playing, and they may not even know that stuff. I mean, so insufficient randomization. Did you know that if you pile shuffle in six, you have to do it another method, or that's considered insufficient randomization? Yeah, yes. We did okay, for that. example, that's one thing right there. Yeah. That kind of stuff, you... Um, you Most people aren't going to know that. Exactly. If you don't know that, you're, you're going to face the consequences. Of, I mean, yes, it's the player's responsibility to know that going into whatever level, you know, rules enforcement level of the event it is, to know you should expect this kind of stuff to ha be important. But, you know, I think it's... People, it needs to be more consistent, more thorough, all the way from the top down, so that way players understand this, and there's more uniform following of the rules right across a, the board that's a really really good answer i think um, there should be i mean I, there's something new called like a rules advisor right do you know much about that something i think that's what it's called it's like not a judge but it's something i think it's kind of like me in a way right right but did you take any kind of test no right that's what i'm saying like they should if i don't know the details of that um and maybe they already have this but i know there's been points where i've been like i'd like to be a judge not just because not to actually judge events necessarily, not that I don't want to, but I'm saying like, but that's not my primary goal. It's more so that I want to test myself on the rules so that I know when a situation comes up what the rule is. I, I almost want to become a judge just for my own personal oh, yeah. I've play been, group. I've been the same know. way for a couple of years now that I wanted to become a judge. But there's no, it's like the, to become a judge, contact another judge. Like, well, no, I just want to take a test online. Like, give me a judge test online that I can take and test myself and see how well I do. And if I get it wrong, please show me what I did wrong and so I can learn. And something like that would be good for players just so they know their rules. I mean, I understand what you're saying and I completely, I think that's a good idea right there. I think, though, that that's good for, like, personal knowledge, but, I mean, level one judges, you have to, like, shadow, like, a level two judge for, like, right. three, four events, which I think is great because you have that hands-on experience at the event, so that way you have, and you have somebody to guide you so you don't make the wrong call. And I'm just saying, like, because there's not always a judge around um, when you're playing, you know, they, they say that the real money is in this game is from the people playing at the kitchen table. Well, then let the people at the kitchen table kind of test their own knowledge so that they can then move on to Friday Night Magic and realize some of the things, some of the interactions they might face. And that's something I've kind of thought for years. Now, I think that's a, now, just kind of going back onto what Lloyd was saying, um, I think that's a really good point. I think that um, rules enforcement um, should be, you know, I mean, while the rule, obviously rules enforcement at a Friday Night Magic is a lot less severe than at, like, states, but I feel like if rules were taught like consistently at an early stage in someone's tournament level playing, and that's kind of what I've been trying to do mm -hmm. with the Saturday tournaments. I keep telling everyone, I'm like, don't use dice for your life totals, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Right. I'm like just kind of teaching people little things here and there like to get them set for competitive games. You know, right. I'm, like, I'm like, well, this is what you, know, you need to remember. I'm like, that's, this is fine, you know, now in this setting, we're not going to get on your case about it. But you know, if if you were to enter a more serious tournament, this is something you could get in a lot of trouble for. Right. You know, and, and I and I keep trying to ingrain that in people's heads, and I feel like that's important. Like when a, when players start playing competitively, even if it's just at an F and M or at a small tournament, the person who's in charge of that event should be, you know, instilling. You know, even if it's small things, instilling those things in people's heads at an early stage in their tournament playing, so that by the time they're on to a more serious event, they already know it. They yeah. know not to put their sleeves out of order or or whatever. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like cheating 
can grow out of that, I guess. You know what I mean? Cheating can grow out of getting away with certain that's things. Sloppy, sloppiness. Yeah, yeah that's well, the thing. I mean, that's the thing too. Like you have see people that you go go to Friday Night Magic. They have nothing to keep track of their life with. I mean, these are in the rules. They, they have to have these things, like yeah. card sleeves. I remember back when we didn't have to have these things. Yeah, but. I don't even know why they sell clear sleeves anymore. But uh, the next thing, uh, pretty much the last thing that I could think is the World Wake spoilers. There are three that we know of right Count now. Three. Uh, one is Smother, which some people who have been playing for a while might remember as um, a instant Kill target psychotog. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it was printed in, originally printed in Onslaught. It's one black and one colorless instant. Destroy target creature with converted mana cost three or less. It can't be regenerated. So it's interesting that they're reprinting that. I mean, if that's confirmed, um, it seems to be. I think pretty that one's confirmed. confirmed pretty much. These spoilers are from MDG Salvation, just to give credit. Um, and the other two spoilers, actually, we have pictures of. So those are definitely confirmed. Smother is the only one that is quote confirmed, but I haven't seen you know a uh, World Wake version of it yet. So I guess we can't say 100%. But um, anyway, uh, it's interesting that they're printing a card with it can't be regenerated on it after they've been saying they kind of want to push. Uh, they want to make regeneration more relevant, and they're going to reprint Smother. Uh, I mean, it's still obviously Terminate. Th that says it can't be regenerated also. So it's. I guess they're not going full on with it. But yeah, I mean, it's like Doomblade, for example, versus right. Terror. Exactly. So um, so that that's kind of interesting. Um, the other, uh, one of the other spoilers is a Dies to Smother. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's the uh, Leatherback Bailoff. It costs green, 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 and it's a 4-5 beast and that's it it's a vanilla creature but uh, converted mana cost three for a four five uh creature is pretty pretty impressive backwards woolly thoctar for yeah. just green yeah exactly so um and then lastly which uh, was just spoiled last night um this is the buy a box promo is celestial colonnade it's a land it enters the battlefield tapped you can tap it to add white or blue to your mana pool and you can tap Three colorless, one blue and one white, and until end of turn, Celestial Colonnade becomes a 4-4 white and blue elemental creature with flying and vigilance. It's still a land. So we're getting some uh, some man lands back. Definitely love the man lands. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Tim's pretty excited about that one with his... Uh, he's got a blue-white deck. His yeah. blue-white control deck that he's got going on. He's probably really excited about the Colonnade. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it myself. It's just, I like man lands. And they're great in control decks, but Mish they're, they're Mishra's Factory. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Mishra's Factory. Or uh, maybe we'll see Treetop Village again. Oh, great. <laughs> I just doubt a, it. Oh, yay, Treetop Village. Just what I hate to see. <laughs> I have a feeling that um, it, they're probably all going to be, like, this is going to be a cycle of lands, and I think they're all going to be, like, duels. So there might be ten, but there's more likely going to be That seems five. to be the case. I mean, if you look back at Zendikar, you have, like, Sejiri Refuge and right. Jawar Island and everything, and those are all dual lands, so, I mean, it makes sense for them to continue that pattern. Right, so, it, you know, they're, we're probably not going to see Mishra's And probably, or, then, if that's the case, that means Wake of Eldrez will have enemy-colored dual lands. That would, that would be interesting, too. I would like to see that. I, I was curious as, as, yeah. as to whether or not they'd have them. Uh, it, it just seems to be the pattern, more. so I mean, I think that's what would be the case, honestly. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty exciting for World Wake coming up. Keep an eye on the, uh, the MTG Salvation rumor mill if you're interested in seeing some more of the spoilers. Anything uh, you wanted to add, Joe? Um, Irish Wiccan on eBay. I'm selling some... Uh, I'm selling some cards on eBay. Help me have money because I have none. Thank you. Um, wow. <laughs> anything you wanted to add, Lloyd? Well, let's see. I could add the uh, Baneslayer Angel story that you guys know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So um, on top of everything at States, um, Dream Wizards, they also gave me half a box of M M10 or Zendikar. Take a box of M10. And this is like it's snowing and freezing rain here in Maryland. I get home. I have to clear my driveway because I have a downhill inclined driveway. I get inside the house about 1.30 or so. My brother and I... 1.30 a.m. 1.30 a.m., mind you. My brother and I are like, ah, oh, let's open those packs. Let's see what we got anything. Second pack, Foil Bane Slayer Angel. I'm like, well, foil. I'm done. I don't have to open anymore. <laughs> Good night. Foil Bane Slayer Angel. That is... That, you know, you win the states and then you win... I mean, I don't even know. You win life. When, <laughs> I mean, that's just awesome. Um, the last thing I wanted to add, it's a, a question for the listeners, and uh, if you guys have opinions on it, 
you know, you can tell me next week, and if you have an opinion on it, let me know, Lloyd. What card is or was more annoying to play against, Blightning or Cryptic Command? I'll leave that for now and until next week, and we'll, we can hear some maybe well-thought-out responses. So leave us a comment uh, on the MTG Cast feed. You can leave the comments right under the episode, or you can email us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash yomtgtaps. You can check out Joe's blog, which is otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com. You can check out my blog at affinityforislands.com. Um, and our friend Keith actually just started up a blog. Um, it is timmyforlife.blogspot.com. Uh, some interesting posts on there. Now, is that um, four F-O-R or four is in the it, number? It's F-O-R, yeah, Timmy for Life, F-O-R. Um, lastly, I, I almost forgot, um, Mitch Carson wrote in to us to let us know about the Baltimore Open, which is being held by Gaunt Plaid Games. It's coming up on Saturday, December 19th, um, at the Sheraton Inn Harbor Hotel, which is at the Baltimore Inner Harbor. Um, there's standard and extended events. It's a $1,000 prize purse. Um, and for more information, you can go to BaltimoreMTG.com. That's for the local players, obviously, or anybody who feels like coming to Baltimore to play. Uh, and, play for, um, and for people who aren't from Baltimore, uh, Baltimore does actually have a T in it, despite what I may have been saying to you all these uh, episodes. <laughs> and it doesn't have a W in it, if you might have been saying that either. Like that. <laughs> I always say there ain't no T in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, uh, no, if you're looking for the BaltimoreMTG.com, there is a T in there. That's right. Maybe you just post the link so we don't have to keep I will. spelling I'll, less. <laughs> I'll post the link in the show notes. And uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye. I know you think that it ain't too far. But I hear a call of a lifetime ring. Felt the need to get up for it. Oh, you cut out the middleman Can be from the middleman You got no time for the messenger Got no regard for the thing that you don't understand You got no fear of the underdog That's why you will not survive